You're listening to the Empath Insights Podcast, episode number 48. And in this episode, I am interviewing my dear friend and fellow life coach, Kaiza. Kaiza helps guardians of challenging dogs reduce stress and anxiety in their life. I'm Rachel Hudson, Certified Life Coach, and I'm here to help you learn to thrive, learn to stop absorbing other people's stress, and embrace your natural gifts. I'll also teach you some practical ways to manage your sensitivities. Every week, I'll be answering your questions, sharing some of my stories, and offering tips and advice so that you can be your best in your relationships in your business, at home, and with your friends. Okay. Hey, everybody. So I am here with one of my friends, Kaiza. We were in coach training together and I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself here. So welcome, Kaiza. Hi, Rachel. Um, Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm kind of stoked to be on your podcast because I have been listening to it already on my dog walk. So maybe, um, I don't know if that's where I start to introduce myself. Maybe just my full name. Yeah. That's um, Kaisa von Overbeek. And I guess probably by the last name, some people can tell that I'm Dutch. And that's also um, where I'm living. I'm living in the Netherlands. And then in the school holidays, I like to make my way up to the Austrian mountains, which is also where my parents are living at the moment. Um, what else can I tell you? I have two amazing teenage boys. Um, I'm married and I have a very cool Australian cattle dog named Rusty, who actually also inspired my career change. But I guess we're going to be talking about that a little bit later. So so just a little background, Kaiza and I met in coach training, the life coach school. When did that start? Was that in July? I want to say yes. Yeah, July. July June or July. And, um, I feel like we became fast friends. <laughs> yeah. We met at least once a week, sometimes twice a week to coach each other, to practice. And we certainly learned a lot about ourselves and we learned a lot about how coaching can help anybody with anything. So tell us a, a little bit about what you we're doing in the past and where you are now and how you coach. Like what were you doing in your career prior to coaching? All right. So I studied originally aerospace engineering. So I have an MSc in aerospace engineering and I worked at the university for about a year and a half after I graduated as a researcher. And I didn't like that too much at the time anymore. I got kind of fed up. So I traveled for a little bit and then didn't know what I wanted to do. So I worked at the Dutch version of REI for a year, roughly. And then I kind of figured like, maybe I want to go to med school. Maybe I want to do something else. But in the meantime, I had gotten offered a job at the European Patent Office as a patent examiner. And so I started there, they had good, you know, like good terms. And um, the first year you could kind of quit like whenever you wanted to, if need be. So I figured, okay, if I'm going to end up going to med school, 
um, you know, like I can, I can give notes relatively easily and then um, start that. But I started there and I, I really, I like the job. I like the people. So I kind of stuck around and if I had stuck around, which um, I haven't because it did end up quitting, it would have been 20 years this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like it's, it kind of <laughs> blows my mind, but um, yeah, I, I took some unpaid leave um, last year, which is also when I did the, the life coach training and then after life coach training, I came back because my unpaid leave was up and it was kind of like, you know, like decision time. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to move forward with um, coaching? Or am I going to stay here? And it became clear relatively quickly that I was going to be coaching. And so, yeah, I quit that job and coaching is what I do now. Yeah, I do remember that decision. Uh, that that time that time frame where you were like, I have to make a decision. I really want to do this coaching. So tell the listeners who you help, what type of coaching you do, and kind of what got you into this particular type of coaching. All right. So who I help is um, dog guardians of challenging dogs, and by yeah. challenging dogs, I mean. Um, reactive dogs, aggressive dogs, um, maybe deaf or blind dogs, like people who really have to spend, I almost want to say like a disproportionate amount of time on their dog compared to what they had initially thought they would be doing. Okay. Um, and how I do that is really by mindset coaching. So I am by no means a dog trainer. I know a lot of dog trainers like to call themselves like dog coach or, or coach for dog guardians as well, because, you know, as they always say, you're not training the dog, you're training the owner. I like to say guardian, but you know, more common I love is that. the owner. I love that. Um, so yeah, you're training the guardian, but I'm not training the guardian to train the dog. I'm really making them aware of how their mindset influences every aspect of life with their dog. So I really, I, I want to say I dig two levels deeper okay. um, than, uh, than like a regular coach would do. And I think the thing also is, maybe I'm just going off on a tangent here, but That's okay. um, the life with your dog completely mirrors other aspects of your life. So if you're having... Um, like if you're feeling like I don't have time for myself anymore because all of my time goes to the dog, then my question is, okay, so how come you'd feel like you don't have time for yourself anymore? Because in the end time for yourself or making time for yourself is a matter of prioritizing. So how come you're not prioritizing your self-care? What's behind that? And if you're not doing that, like in, in comparison or in life with your dog, and probably you're not doing that in any other aspects of your life as well. Maybe your, you know, like your work life or um, life with your partner or your kids, you're probably also not prioritizing your self-care there. So their issues with their dog <laughs> might be what triggers them to come to me. And then we end up discussing a whole lot more. So that's what I really, what I mean by, by mindset and by like digging to the deeper layer and then I guess I should explain like how I got into that. Yeah. Field. Like, I mean, it sounds like you might have had some 
a similar situation in the past? Uh, yeah, I kind of alluded to it already a little bit with my with my catalog, Rusty. So I think he, he came into my life when I was at the patent office. And I, I kind of, I mean, like I knew already that I needed or wanted um, to leave. And at one point regulations changed and we were allowed to do some homeworking from like, even before COVID, they mm-hmm. allowed us to come home and work part-time from home. And I was like, Oh, I've always wanted a dog. This is my chance. I kind of felt like it's kind of rude to say, like, I was like, Oh, I'm just fed up with people. Let me just have a dog there. They do like this unconditional love thing that's promised to you. And that'll like, everything will be great. And now is my chance. I'm going to get this dog. I had it all figured out. Like, I, I think I made like a little misjudgment or miscalculation in that, of course, um, when you get a dog, I think the amount of interactions with other people actually increases and more people have something to say about you, your dog and whatnot. But, you know, like we live, we learn. It's like an extension of you. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had him and, and I like operated under the illusion of like, if I just prepare enough, if I just um train enough then I am going to end up with the perfect dog and I got what I thought was um and probably is like a very like trainable smart breed I wanted um I wanted him to come backpacking with me which actually he does um I wanted to be active wanted to do frisbee agility whatever like I've just I was all in and um it turns out that he had really a lot of, or not a lot of issues, but he became reactive to other dogs. So he was in a dog walking service, for example, which would, which allowed me to then work on the days that I had to come into the office. So he wouldn't have to be alone too long. And he started getting into fights um, during the dog walks Mm -hmm. and they had a two strikes you're out policy. So (laughs) two strikes. He was out and then, you know, like then they're out, like the next day your dog's home and you don't have a dog walking service. And then what do you do? Um, Luckily, COVID hit then. It sounds a bit weird to say that, but it, you know, gave me the opportunity to be home with him and um, reevaluate. But yeah, that triggered a whole avalanche of thoughts and feelings for me and not just for me, but also for the family, because, you know, again, like I said, I I was, I was investing time in this dog, but I was investing so much time. And my whole idea was like, if there's something not working, then I just need to invest more time. And so everything became about the dog. And um, my family was kind of like, telling me like, I don't know about it anymore. Like this is to us, this is not fun. And my response was kind of like, well, you just have to help me train the dog more. Don't you see? Because if the dog's trained better and like not reactive to other dogs anymore, then life in her family will be fantastic and great and loving again. And of course it doesn't work that way. That's what we, that's what we've kind of learned in coaching. And I think that's just to bring them back to mindset It's like my whole idea was I need to change this dog to be, I don't know, I guess my generation is a lassie, you know, like be the lassie come home dog. Mm -hmm. I guess the new generation is maybe Bolt or I don't know what's up, like Paw Patrol (laughs) type dog. (laughs) Yeah, but I need him to be something like that. And if only that is the result, then everything else will be fine. 
But, you know, like A, how long is that going to take? Like B, is that even achievable? And in the meantime, what? Are we all just going to be miserable, like in this household? So, um, yeah, that's where mindset work started to really come in. And then I didn't realize it so much because... I got into coaching. Okay. So now we're, we're turning back to my old job and coach training because I wasn't happy. So happy in my job. And I was trying to figure out what else to do. And I figured if nothing else, coach training is going to help me. I might not want to become a coach, but whatever I pick up there is going to help me big time. This was sort of my whole idea going in there. And then I realized that everything I was learning there and that I had gotten into sort of to figure out like career-wise what I wanted to do and, and, and other things helped me in my life with my dog. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? Like I wasn't trying to change my dog all the time anymore. I was thinking, well, given that my dog is how he is and who he is, what can I do given that, um, my family only want to invest a certain amount of time into training this dog. What can I do? How can I, what can I think? What can I believe about this life with this really amazing dog that he is? Um, you know, that makes me love it more. So. So just, what, I, what I, actually changed though? Like, I mean, I'm assuming Rusty didn't, magically changed because of coaching. So tell, tell us, like, I'm so fascinated how this is working because it's just, it's so good for everybody. What changed? My whole attitude. Yeah. I also started questioning everything. So I realized like if he, if he'd lunged on a dog walk, And I would come back and I would just feel upset. Like the whole day would be, I would be miserable because it would have been a bad dog walk for me because, you know, there is a good dog walk and there's a bad dog walk. And this involved lunging, which meant that he wasn't the perfect dog that I had in mind, which Mm -hmm. the perfect dog is, you know, like the lassie. And so I would be miserable and then I would be miserable and then from that misery I wouldn't be a nice person to be around for my family so I would be you know like not nice to them and well it spiraled down and then I realized I don't have to make him lunging at another dog mean that this was a terrible dog walk you know like there was just a dog walk there was him being a dog and being scared I guess and and reacting out of being afraid and then there was me and then we came home and that's it. I don't know if you remember this, but it seems like at some point you, we've done so much coaching. <laughs> I felt like we were just like, our brains are like, what's going on? Um, that your, your family started to notice like something happened with your dog and you were actually pretty neutral about it. Does that ring yeah. a bell? Yeah. And, um, I think we even went on a walk. I don't know if it was the walk that my husband came on. Cause there was one walk where I just, I met somebody and they basically told me that, you know, like my dog being react- reactive, my dog should be um, dead. I should be dead. 
And oh. uh, if they ever saw my dog again, they would kill the dog. To remember that. Yes. And uh, I, I think it might have been that one. And I did come home from that one, like rattled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they asked me, so mom, are you going to be upset for another couple of days now? That's right. And um, I thought about it and I said, probably not a couple of days, but I'm, I am going to be upset about it for a little bit. And I just gave myself permission for that because I was like, well, you know, like when somebody tells me they want to kill me and that they want to kill my dog, I don't believe that I want to be all happy about it. And like, that to me is like toxic positivity, you know, like, right. You're like, like, Oh, just ignore it. (laughs) Yeah. Let me just look at it. Be all happy. Yay. But I realized like that by allowing myself to feel that for a little bit, like to feel the fear also, and to realize, okay, this, this in my book seemed to be the type of person that if I would meet them again, that they would become aggressive. And of course my brain is going to say, um, you know, Hey, be careful. And so just really being aware of that and feeling that allowed me to process that emotion. I want to say a lot quicker than otherwise I would have done. And then so having what, what that, you would have done in the past, would you say you would have pushed it down or, yes. I mean, like an avoiding type of thing? Yeah. I would have gone and come home, feel terrible and then done something else just to not feel terrible. So maybe scroll on social media or, or dive straight into a fix. And I guess that's like, you've mentioned that in your podcast a couple of times, buffering. It's another way of buffering is to immediately want to go and fix it and read up in books about like, Oh, if, if he's just not reactive, then people won't threaten me with death. Like how do anymore. I change like, how that? Do I change that? <laughs> Which is again, so know, not, impossible. not helpful. And, oh. and so, yeah, I would do that. And then of course, you know, pushing things down or just um, doing something else to, to forget about it. That doesn't help. So then it comes back and then you, mull over the situation again and all the feelings come up again and you push them aside again and you and then they pop up and then you push them aside again and so it it just becomes worse and worse and that would go on for days and so just by now saying hey no it's okay I'm not going to push them down I'm just going to really just sit there for a little bit and and feel it and feel the adrenaline and feel feel scared and feel upset and also feel a little bit sad that I don't have the lassie come home. You know, that's part of it too, dog. Um, and our ideas yeah. about those types of things are so funny because, you know, we were all right. You know, we grew up with TV and, you know, it's so funny. Cause I'm like, TV is not real life, but we, nope. we watch so much of it that we kind of get upset. It doesn't matter if it's like the lassie or like this perfect 30 minute crime solving episode or whatever. And we're like, life is just not like that. Right. Nope. So instead of like avoiding, like, and pushing all that down, you, you basically took what in the past would have been like two or three days. I'm not sure what your time frame was to be like, uh, into like, you know, a short amount of time. So you didn't have to, you know, when your kids said, oh, so you're not going to be sad for two or three days. I mean, I think that was, a, that's proof that coaching totally works. Would you yes. agree? 100, 100%. And I think another proof that it works was that, that, um, 
remark by my kid didn't make me feel attacked and get defensive. Yeah. Cause I would feel terrible about, you know, like about feeling bad somehow. So that this is layer of guilt that we add on, on top, you know? So now I'm feeling bad that I'm feeling bad for so long and that I'm not a normal person who can just brush things off. Um, and so I would have almost like my, my kid's remark would have been like a reminder to me that I'm not the person who can brush things off and that I should feel bad about that. It's like this perfection trap. It's so fascinating when our families can see coaching working (laughs) sometimes quicker than we can. My husband often is like, gosh, two years ago, you would have not handled this well, or you would not have handled this the same way. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we don't really see it. Like we're just not really convinced sometimes. Like, I know we kind of went up and down, like with coaching, like, is this really working? And there was just so much going on, but then another person expecting you to have a reaction and then them saying like, you know, wow, you really handled this well. What's up with that? I think that's real. I think that's the most amazing part of coaching is when the people around you notice it, even when you're not noticing it. Oh yeah. And if you have kids like mine, they notice it really quickly. Like <laughs> they'll let you know. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. They'll let me know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So let's kind of dive into a little bit of empath stuff. So, um, just a little side note, her dog is where she is and he's got his thing going on. My dogs, thankfully they're asleep now at any time these dogs could decide to, uh, do what dogs do. We're just going to keep it rolling which is, this is real life y'all, right? We both work from home. We both have dogs. We're both in love with our dogs. Um, So that can happen. So tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up and what makes you think you might have some empath tendencies. We talked about, tell us about elementary school and this skipping (laughs) grades thing. So fascinating. I mean, like, um, Rachel sent me some, like some pointers for our interview before. And it w- I was really grateful to her that she did, because it really made me think about, um, where did it all start? Or like, what, what do I believe and think about myself? And it made me think back to my childhood. Um, I don't know, like my close friends will notice, but others might not, but I started, um, um, high school three years early because I skipped three grades in elementary school. So like as a consequence of that, I also started university at age 15. So I guess, uh, although I don't like saying the word, I guess it was, was, or am gifted. And um, I would say that (laughs) 15, I didn't know what I was doing at 15. I was still like trying to figure out what was going on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm still trying to figure that out. So I guess that that age has nothing to do with that or giftedness (laughs) or any of that. But, um, but yeah, I was very, very young. And I think one of the things that I could do really well from a young age on was like read body language and read facial expressions and, um, figure out what the emotions were that, um, came with them. And at the same time, I was a kid, you know, and, uh, I was a smart kid, but it was still a kid. So I still made a lot of it like all children do be about me. So if somebody was sad, which I might, you know, like pick up on or have picked up on sooner than anyone else, I, I 
still would consider like, what did I do to make this person sad? Like this separation of other people's emotions and my emotions wasn't there logically. And so I think that is sort of where it started that I very much, um, yeah, made other people's emotions my own, but I couldn't really understand that I wasn't always responsible for them. And so I think that's part of um, where the tendency started. And then the other part of it is that I was always adapting to Mm. others um, because I was always either younger. So I needed to, you know, like keep up with the bigger kids um, the older kids and still be kind of like cool. Or like, if it was kids, my own age, I had to translate or yeah, I was just, yeah. Tr- like translate my language or transpose it mm-hmm. to a different level. Um, yeah. And there's a three, that three years as, as an adult is not a whole lot, but as kids, that's huge. It is. Yeah. It's big. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, honestly, like, thinking back to it, like I I know now that it had an impact. I didn't see it as very difficult. I think at the time I did see that in PE class because that was like disaster for me (laughs) because everybody else was three years older, you know, so (laughs) have fun. Um, but, um, but also, and, and then also on top of that in university, so in university was three years younger or even sometimes even four or, or more years, depending on how old the freshmen were, um, and I was doing an engineering studies as a woman. So we had about 15 female students and like over 300 guys. So okay. there was also there this whole, you know, like trying to be one of the guys and then trying to be one of the older guys because I was 15. So I was just going to pretend I'm 18 and can fit in with all the men and all of that. So there's a lot of, so wait, trying um, to fit in with old, people that were much older than you. Yes. And in this engineering program, and most of the people were, were guys like 300 versus like 15 women. That's a lot of adapting and really trying to change yourself to fit into that. Of course you picked up on. And the whole mindset in engineering is very, you know, like one plus one is two. So there isn't a whole lot of space for, um, emotions not a lot of space for feelings I would imagine yeah yeah <laughs> and that's I that might be changing now you know like I don't know I, I, obviously I haven't been uh in university for a long time now but still um so, so looking back at that I mean I make it sound like very big and very uh, a big something I don't think it was that big but it's all those little things together that yeah. mix and and form you so um bring maybe bringing them back to coaching like when when I started coaching like I, I think I had done that for so long um done both, what it's specifically just adapting played a part adapting oh, okay. and mm-hmm. then I guess suppressing the feeling side although somehow I still made it mean that if somebody was sad or angry that it was all me um but that when we started to do feelings work and things like that I was like well, I mean, I, I can remember myself saying like, I don't even know what I'm feeling. <laughs> I'll say, even as a, a deep feeler, I'm let's listen, I have all the emotions and they're all there. That was incredibly, 
even for me, that was so difficult. I'm like, this is, it was awful and liberating at the same time. It was literally the 50, 50 that we talk about. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm the feelings person, yoga teacher, flowery yoga fans that we talk about <laughs> and then we joke about, and then we get into it and I'm like, oh my God, I don't like this at all. But we, it was so, I mean, looking back, it was just, and then we've both done a lot of work in our lives, yeah. but this was some of the best work I've ever done. And it is just like, I think it has thrown us out there into like, everybody needs feelings work in my opinion. Right. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And we, yes. we tend to do so much on, on, on thinking brain and, and, and being rational. Um, but we completely bypass the fact that everything we do really is grounded in emotion. Yeah. I was just going to say the same exact sentence, except just say feeling it was the same thing. It was so weird. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just every single thing that we do is because of a feeling that we want or that we're having. And yeah. it's just, I think it's just fascinating work. I mean, I feel so lucky to be doing this work. A lot of empaths, we try to fix things um, and we try to fix things by overgiving. So there's a couple of little topics in there. If you want to talk about the fixer <laughs> and oh, yeah. how you might've uh, adapted that in your life. I think the two are even intertwined or you can't see one yeah. separate from they're kind of the, the same in the same container. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's probably a lot of empaths have that. Like I can't, I, I can't stand people being sad or angry, or I just, I can't, it's just, it, you know, like if one of my kids comes home and is upset, or if my husband is in a like grumpy mood, I just, I feel bad, you know, like I feel terrible. I, I, and I just want it gone. I just want those like feelings out of my house. So I want to, I want to fix my household. So I want everyone to be happy. It's a very human thing to do. And so you're like, okay, well, what can I do to, to fix them or to make them happy? So I all think like, um, I don't know, let's do something like really practical. Like I'll just like make the whole home organized. I'm like, I'm not the most organized person. I'll, let me just do like full cleanup and I'll do like a great meal for everybody. And then, you know, like then they will be all happy. And then, then they'll, they'll be happy. Will, yeah, and then they'll be happy, you know, like then their bad mood will, will disappear because look at all this great food and look at how nice it feels to come home in this place. And I mean, you can guess what happens, right? So they come <laughs> home and then it's like, and then I go like, I feel resentment because I'm like, I did all this stuff so that, you know, I could have this happy household where everybody is living in, you know, like cloud nine in dreamland. And, and now what do I get in return grumps? And then of course I get annoyed and then, well, Hey, fights ensue. Um, so, th but that is sort of like this whole, I want everybody to be happy because I don't feel comfortable when they're not happy. It's and back this, to the emotion, right? <laughs> yes. And this feeling of that. So that's the work that I've had to do, like to be able to allow other people to A, have their own feelings, to know that it is not always about me. And this is what we, what I was describing earlier that, you know, like, I think this is what came um, from growing up as a highly empathic kid that I couldn't separate that other people's feelings you know, weren't always because of me. And this is like something I've taken into adulthood. 
Um, so now knowing that, you know, you can say, okay, no, those feelings can stay with them. They can be angry. They can be sad. I don't have to take that on. And then also in the fixing um, sense that, you know, like knowing like, okay, am I doing this now because I'm wanting a reaction from them so that I can feel better? Like, look at how I cleaned this house or look at this nice meal I made so that you can now tell me that I'm great and I can feel better. Or am I making just a fun and great meal because I want to, and you know, like they love it. They love it. They don't love it. They don't. I had fun preparing it because it came from a place of giving. My overgiving was from a, a place of if, if I only give enough, then they won't ever be angry or sad anymore. And then I don't have to feel angry or sad anymore, which yeah. doesn't. Trying to change another person's feelings, which yeah, no, not a know, good idea, but we've, we've all done it. We've lived our lives that way. Like we, if we just do enough, if we just, if we just take on their feelings to the yeah, point, we're sometimes that we're, we're in debt emotionally and financially too, for some people. Yeah. For some, it's even, it becomes a financial debt literally, Yeah, but it's because we we're taught or made to believe that the always being happy is what we're striving for. And I think probably that's the biggest lie that we're being sold on that we should always feel happy. Yeah. That's kind of one of my favorite things in coaching too. And, um, we didn't talk about this earlier, but I just had this thought that, uh, or question, like, what are some of your favorite concepts that we were taught? Like one of my things is, um, life, you said, you're not supposed to be happy all the time. Life is really 50, 50. Like you go through your day and you have this big plan to be happy all day long. And then one little thing goes wrong and you're like, no, oh my gosh, this day is just totally shot to hell. (laughs) So what, what are some of your like favorite concepts? I think that's part of that's one of them. Mm -hmm. And then I would want to take that even a step further. And that is that, um, when you truly embrace that life sometimes sucks, you actually feel happier. And the the reason that, so so I think in a sense, we can strive for the happy because when we give less um, uh, weight to the unhappiness, then the happiness just moves to the foreground a little bit more. So what we do is when we see one crappy thing, one thing that's negative, like you said, like, then, then we add on to that, like, oh, now my whole day is shot. And then on top of that, we're, we add a, a layer of, I shouldn't be feeling that my whole day is shot. I should be the type of person <laughs> who can being, look at this beating ourselves positively. Up. And so we beat ourselves up. So then there's even more negativity. So we blow like the 50% so out of proportion that it seemingly is 80 or 90%. Decision-making, how has coaching helped you. And I mean, we listen, for those of you, you probably don't know, Kaiza and I coach each other every week. Um, even though we're on opposite ends of the world, um, we make it happen and we, we get down to it y'all. Um, and decision-making, I know I struggle with this as an empath. Empaths are typically a, we have Swiss cheese for boundaries. We just don't have any and B, we're terrible decision makers sometimes until we learn how to do it. So talk a little bit about making decisions. 
I'm 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 really still smiling here because I want to say it's very much a, a very much a work in progress. Like if you would ask anyone in my family, it's like, oh my God, decision making and Kaisa, like they'll say, like, um, like if I'm in a store and I have to, and this is just a simple thing, and I have to decide on like what color shoes or whatever. And and they'll just literally say, Yeah, we'll just be outside waiting, okay? And then they'll go, go get and some do lunch. <laughs> yeah, let me go. Exactly. <laughs> Like in the meantime, they bought like 10 pairs of shoes while I'm agonizing over the color of one. Um, so um, one of the things I'm learning about decision-making is first of all, I don't have to identify with that role anymore. So I, I mean, I'm jokingly saying now that that's how my family sees me, yeah. but I'm, I get to decide whether I am that person who is you know having a difficult time making decisions or not so that's one thing like decide yeah. on um yeah decide on that so i'm like okay i have um parts where i'm not good at making decisions but that doesn't mean that i'm a person who's not a good decision maker so right. th that's a like a big difference and then i also try to reframe it a lot so I don't say I'm, I'm bad at making decisions. I just say, um, I carefully weigh all options or I carefully, uh, look at all sides of something, which I do really think that that is, um, very much what I do. And then I practice a lot making little decisions, um, so that I create evidence for myself that I am a good decision maker. And, um, on top of that, I have sort of a new motto that says, like, once a decision is made, it is the right decision, or it was the right decision, because you can't go back and change it. So why would you spend valuable energy on, um, you know, like reminiscing and going like, did I do the right thing? Did I not do the right thing? It's like, what? <laughs> like, spend that energy on moving forward and doing something else. It was the right decision. Let's go. So uh, like all those little things together are, are really um, making me better at that. And I mean, I, like, and I it think it's also better. It gets easier. Like when you coached me um, a few days ago, I was in this, the, I call it, we were laughing about it, but like the <laughs> story of Rachel, like, I can't make a decision. I've got all this stuff to do. And it's just like, you're, I mean, I can't even imagine my life now without coaching. I'm like, I would just be a complete mess. And you coach me so well. And you're like, okay, how long is it going to take you? I'm like, oh, it's going to take about a half a day. You're like, no, no, no. How many hours are you going to give yourself to do this thing? And it was so funny because my brain wanted to just like go and back into the like, well, see, I just can't, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. I had all these excuses. I can't tell you how much I've gotten done this week because of our session. And it was just kind of, it was mindset. It was not action. It was, yeah, I had to take action, but it was like, Hey, why are you, why do you think you have to do it this way? Or how long is this going to take you decide? And I'm like, well, what if it takes me longer? And you're like, so what now, you know, how long it takes you exactly. I'm like, what, yes. how did that happen? So, um, where do you think you would be Okay. This is a question I ask myself a lot. Where do you think you would be if you <laughs> had never stepped into this coaching? Um, I'm going to call it the arena of coaching. And you just had no idea. Where do you think you would be? 
I think I would maybe be depressed. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I don't know. I want to think that at one point I would have made the decision to quit the job that I was in and to stop sort of slogging along and doing something that wasn't, you know, bringing me joy and was getting me down. And, and even like in the end, because of the stress, like physically doing me harm. Where I see the biggest changes is in my relationships, like in my family. It feels like I am more selfish, although that's a thought too. But I, I guess the different way to phrase that would be I'm doing things that are more in alignment with me. Like I'm really in tune with, okay, does this feel right? Does, the, does this not feel right? Like, what do I do? And by doing so, my relationships have improved. And I, it's, it's, you told me one of almost, your relationships had improved a million percent. And I was like, what? Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's, I, it's, I almost want to say it's like a miracle or something, but it's because when you now do, well, A, I don't expect other people to do anything anymore. That's not them either. So yeah. I do what works for me and I let them be them. And I don't make that mean anything bad about me, you know, like, and how are they showing up because of how you are showing up? I guess also differently, like, like to really narrow this, I don't know. It's just, it's, to me, it's magical. It's like, it's like, we have this in ourselves the whole time. Like I really had. I, I didn't have to fix anybody. I didn't have to overgive. I really didn't have to do that to be happy. Like I give what I can and so I'm practicing right now telling people no sometimes. I'm like, no. And I don't have to make up this big elaborate intricate reason to make them feel better. I mean, it's just so, it's a, I want to call it um, clean. It feels clean. Yes. Like I'm not playing games. I'm not manipulating. I think manipulation is very subtle, Um, but I'm not playing. I'm just like, if I don't want to do it, I'm just going to say no. Exactly. Just, okay. Maybe this is an example (laughs) that maybe a lot of people will know. And it's not like maybe on a deep level or whatever, but after I'm done working, um, I just, I like to just sit on the sofa. Maybe this is also like a little bit of self-care, you know, like before mm. starting dinner or any of that and just um, like read a book or have a couple of, spend a couple of minutes by myself. So what used to happen is like, I would do that. My husband would come home or one of my kids would come home and I would feel compelled to jump up and move into the kitchen and start making dinner or do something else because I couldn't be sitting. (laughs) I couldn't be sitting when other people were working or doing something like I needed to get up. I needed to not sit, not, and take that time for myself because I don't know, like, what would people think that I was lazy or that I was, you know, like this inner programming. (laughs) Yeah. That's not what you do. Like if if a good person is always sort of like up and running and, and, and doing stuff. So now, um, people come home and then I'm reading my book. I'm like, Hey, what's for dinner? I'm like, uh, I don't know. Go look in the fridge. I'm just reading my book. I'll start in. You about, tell like, me minutes. what's for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Like, and if you like, you know, like I'm starting in 15 minutes and if you want to eat sooner, then, you know, like go check what there is and start the dinner. And I would never, 
have done that before. But what would have happened, and this is, I guess, where the relationships uh, improve, then what would have happened is I would have gotten up, I would have started making the dinner, and I would have been annoyed. Because I would have been thinking like, you interrupted my quiet time. I can never have any quiet time in this house. All I wanted was 10 minutes. I didn't get my 10 minutes, like they were, you know, like, and then spiral down, get grumpy. And then somebody would ask me maybe something else or like, oh, you can't find the knives to set the table or whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, go. I don't know. Just what are you, you blind? <laughs> what are you blind? Like they're right there. Geez. Or, or maybe it's because you didn't empty the dishwasher. Huh? <laughs> like, I don't know. Something <laughs> of the sort. And then everything spirals down from there because you're annoyed because you're you I guess you didn't stand up for yourself you didn't set boundaries and so that's what I learned I was like you know what I I need my 10 minutes and I'm taking my 10 minutes and have fun <laughs> with it and then when I do get up and when I do do the dinner or when I make somebody else to do dinner because they think hey you know like you don't have to learn that it's the mom who does all the dinners we're like in the you know like feminist yeah. age so everybody's capable everybody can do it Although, you know, like I like doing it. Yeah. Um, but because of that, that's why the relationships change. Because you, when you do stuff, it's not out of disgruntlement or resentment or any of that. You just yeah. do it because you're cool with it. Yeah. And that's, uh, it seems more relaxed the way you just explained from where you were, which seemed a little bit tense. Yeah. Um, a little bit like, um, my sister and I like to call it like, just ready for a fight, you know, like you're just <laughs> ready for a fight. Some days you're like, wow, what is that? What's that all about? Go from that type of, um, energy to like a little bit more relaxed and like, I'm going to do this. This was on my agenda for the day. And this makes me feel good. And because you took that 15 minutes, it's not even that long to just kind of reset and get yourself ready the whole family kind of seemed like it kind of just everything fell into place. Yeah. Not just that. I think I also asked myself if I'm this person who um, takes care of, of their own needs as, as well as of others, you know, it doesn't mean that you become like a, like a narcissist or yeah. like a completely egotistical I mean, person. You're a bad person. <laughs> no, not at all. But like, if, how would I, how would I show up or how do I want to show up? And one of the things I did was actually um, before I wouldn't say stuff out loud, you know, I would mm. be like before coaching, even I would just assume like we always, we love to I assume. I know what you're we, thinking. We that want, one of those kind yeah. of deals. <laughs> and, and we want other people to know what we're thinking and mm-hmm. to know that what we want them to do without telling them <laughs> like why, like whoever came up right? with that Talk idea, about like, manipulation, so, right? Yeah. We've all done that. Like, <laughs> oh Yeah. So now I'm like, so how would I show up? And so what I did actually was when I, uh, when I started coaching and working from home, I said, Hey, um, I've, I've noticed that a lot of my good work gets done really late afternoon till six ish, six thirty seven, which would mean that if you guys want me to do the dinner, we're going to have dinner at a later time than is usual for most Dutch households, because most Dutch people eat very early in the evening. Um, so, and if this is a problem for you, if it's not a problem for you, then great. And if it is a problem for you, then we're going to have to figure out a way um, to redo the dinner schedule and whatnot. And so I communicated it, you know, yeah, like the, they were this trying was to read your mind, right? Yeah, exactly. So I was like, huh. So it's so all those happened? little things. So what happened is actually, yeah, we, we regularly have dinner later 
and it's okay. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. Although, I mean, for teenagers having a late dinner, you know, like can be a problem. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not like they're not asking you like mom, what's for dinner 10 times a day, but you know, that's part of the game, but yeah, it's not a, not a problem. I think your schedule is perfect because I am a super early. I used to not be this way, by the way. I'm a super early bird. I mean, you, I don't even want to tell you what time I got up this morning. So we, st- I start at 6 a.m. with uh, our conversation. And it is, if it's 6 a.m. here, what time is it over there? Like later in the day? Uh, I think one one-ish. in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Which is perfect for me because I get all of my brainy stuff, all of my brain work done in the mornings and super, super early. And this has like been the most perfect, like schedule, like it works for you. It works for me still like everybody I'm calling like everybody, my dogs, they're quiet right now. Um, but yeah. And I don't know about you, but I think that's also part of like what I love about, um, coaching virtually and coaching on zoom is that we, you know, like we can coach people from all over the world and this time zone thing for example, is actually a benefit. Like for me, for example, being in Europe, I have a lot of um, clients from, from the U S or other places where they love coaching with me because they can either do before work or after work. Talk a little bit about the podcast that you have and how you interact with people on the podcast. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I love my podcast. Um, it's called Rough Around the Edges, whereby rough is spelled with double F, kind of like with a <laughs> you know tongue in cheek to uh, dogs or a little rough around the love edges. Um, and it started off. It's it's morphed a little bit. It started off as an interview podcast where I interview other um, dog guardians of reactive or regressive dogs, and they kind of share. Yeah, they roughly share their life story. And now I intermingle it with uh, mindset pieces for dog guardians. So how they can go about, you know, like applying the, the kind of work that we do to their daily lives to make it better. Uh, but one of the reasons behind it was, and I think um, that's what we've been talking about. Like it's a, every, like a lot of it is mindset, like, right? Like I was trying to change the dog. I was trying to change my family members to make life better, but really what I wanted to do. I mean, not that you can't try and do that, you know, like not that you shouldn't train your dog or anything. But it's not the dog's responsibility to change. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's your thoughts, um, your thoughts about it. But having said that, sometimes it helps, you know, like to have the more loving thoughts and the more um, the thoughts that create more of the happy feelings and the more comfortable feelings. Sometimes it's easier to have those if you know that other people are going through the same thing. So if you know that the circumstance of your dog being reactive or aggressive isn't weird or out of the ordinary. And this is actually the whole thought behind the podcast is to show people like, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of dogs who are reactive and aggressive. And that means that there are hundreds of thousands of dog guardians that are going through the same thing as you are. You are not alone. This is normal and it is fine. (laughs) And it is absolutely possible to love your dog, to love your life because like, this is who they are, you know, like this, this is them. So this is sort of the, the premise behind the podcast to allow people to make it easier for people 
to have a, a, a great mindset around. Yeah. And I think, you know, just like, um, with empaths, nobody really talks about like the struggles and we all, I mean, just like in your world, in my world, even though we don't technically coach on the same thing, but we kind of do, cause it's all mindset. We always have this, or what I see with the people that we work with, we think we're the only ones that feel this way. And then we feel guilty or we feel like a little bit shame, uh, of shame in feeling like well, maybe I'm the only one with a dog that I can't really manage, or maybe I'm the only one I've been told the, I'm the only one that is just too sensitive or, or I am the only one who acts this way, or I can't feel like we can't get it together, you know, but when we get these people together, when we are like, we, we're all finding each other. I love saying that. I'm like, we're all finding each other through, you know, I would have never met you had it not been through our random experience. Now I love setting intentions. And I think I mentioned this before, um, when we were in coach training that my intention was to make really good friends. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm not going to like these people. Maybe they're not going to like me, but I'll tell you what I was a, I have so many friends from our group that we just click, you know, there's just certain different people click. And I would say you're definitely one that we just, we kept in touch with and you're like always supporting me. I'm supporting you. Now we coach together once a week and we have, we have fun and we don't allow for the BS. I was going to say BS. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> we bring, um, because we're like, no, no, no. We're calling each other on our, on the BS, like, Hey, yeah, no. calling each other out. Big yeah. Time. And it's so I laugh because I'm like, I know I'm doing it. And she, I know she's going to call me on it, but maybe she won't. And we're doing it with love. And I think a lot of people think that coaching is like, oh, they're going to tell me, tell me what to do. Um, or I've had this in the past, like, just tell me what to do. But I'm like, I could tell you what to do. I could tell you to lift your index finger once a day. And you would be so resistant to that because it would work that you wouldn't do it for sure. For although that that said there uh, for sure, there were times that we, I think I remember during coach training, we were also both like, can't they for once just tell us what to do? (laughs) No. I mean, you talk about (laughs) two of us were like indecision, you know, we were the champions of indecision. I feel like, and I was just like, oh my gosh, but it taught us so much about like, we we're in charge of how we do this. And that's what I love about the life coach school. They're like, you make up your mind, you get to decide. And I'm like, me, are you going to tell me what to do? And when I need to have this done by when the assignment, when is the assignment due? No, nope. like, yeah, yeah, I get to decide, but you're going to tell me what I'm going to decide. Right. But then <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not the way it works. Okay, fine. I'll decide. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Any other maybe misconceptions about what people might have about around coaching? Well, well, we touched upon a little, uh, a little thing. And that's like, that it's very, I always call it very pink floral yoga pants that it's yeah, very which is so funny because I'm a yoga teacher and yeah. she's just like, am I going to have to wear the floral yoga pants? And so that's our like inside joke, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
that it's yeah that is very woo woo or anything and i think i mean there are as many styles of coaching obviously as there are um coaches but it's it's not woo woo i think like you know like i have an embassy in aerospace engineering like i'm like the most like down to earth or like maybe you're not a private pilot you're you know a degree in aerospace engineering i mean my goodness Yeah, but I'm like the, you know, nuts and bolts, very like rational, sciencey type. Two plus two is four, the end, <laughs> right? Right. And, but I'm, I'm a coach and I think coaching has probably brought me more than my whole university studies. I'm, I'm sorry, Delft University of Technology. I'm just, you know, but, and it was hard. It was hard work and it's not, it's, it was definitely not woo woo you know like it's I think like I when I heard myself say I don't understand why they don't teach you these skills in school when I said that I knew it was like okay this is what I'm going to be doing because yeah. this that means that this is such an essential skill to have for everyone like I think the life coach school motto I think is like everybody needs a life coach or something like that and that might might not be true like everybody who wants one probably needs one maybe that's the way to say it but I do think there's it is so beneficial and it's like you can go the pink floral yoga pants route if you want yeah. or or not there's there's a life coach out there for for everyone for everyone for everyone and I mean I completely agree with you um I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely challenging because it kind of forces you to like undo the things that we were taught. And I mean, I always go back to the emotions and just learning. And I think I probably knew this, but I just really didn't give any weight to it. Emotions are why we do anything. Yeah. And that actually is why for me, working with dog guardians is so great because they know this from training their dogs, like the type of dog guardians that I work with, we yeah. are generally all in the force-free dog training world. So where it is all about changing the underlying emotion of the dog so that that they can, allows them to change um, the reactions. So there's no punishment-based learning and it's all emotions-based. And those people are like, crap, I'm doing this for my dog. You know, like I know this for my dog, for my dog training, but of course it applies to you. I'm like, yeah, yes. because you're a mammal as well. We're both mammals. Behavior yeah. is behavior. Behavior is behavior. So, yeah. And it makes it easier sometimes really for me to explain because I can just draw the parallels to, to dog training. I'm like, see, you were doing that for your dog. Now do it for yourself. And I love the, one of my favorite things, and I've heard this you know, from different teachers and mentors, like how you do one thing is how you do everything. So I love how, like, if we get coached on one thing in our lives, we can't change that one little action and not have it affect the rest of our life. Um, and like, or and the that's emotion. The, like the, the, the little secret, like, don't tell my clients this, you know, but right. like I, I started coaching, like, you know, from this place of my job and it led into my relationships and the life with my dog. And so when people, you know, like starts coaching with me from the, the, um, uh, with the thought of changing, you know, like positively their relationship with their dog, 
just don't tell them, <laughs> but it will change like, you know, how they show up at work. It will change how they show up in their relationships. Cause if they care about what some random dog owner in the street yells at them, you know, like about their dog, about their dog being like a terrible dog and shouldn't be allowed. Like, you know, if they want to kill you, like my example, and you feel bad about that and you feel upset about that for three days, then you're probably not just feeling upset about whatever some random dog owner yells at you, but you're probably also going to be upset about what your manager at work tells yeah, you. What your boss said about, or the or look you. that someone gave you. Exactly. And so whatever applies to that one situation will apply to, to others as well, but, but don't tell them that. Yeah. That's just like, that's just the, that's kind of the, uh, unintended the ripple effect. Um, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, ripple unintended. Effect. Ripple effect. Yes. So, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Um, so, I guess the easiest is my website. Um, it's my name, kaisafunoverbake.com. They're probably going to have to look up how that's spelled. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Yes. Um, then Instagram still, I might be changing the name, but for now it's at the Russ cattle dog because rusty is his name. So at the Russ cattle dog, it is on Instagram. And of course the podcast, the podcast is called, like I said, rough with double F around the edges. And if you look at the artwork, you'll be able to see rusty's very handsome. He is such a handsome boy. Um, and then you have a Facebook group as well. Is that correct? Yes. Same name, rough around the edges. edges. And then I'm also, I also have a a business page on Instagram or on Instagram, on Facebook, um, which is kind of an overbake coaching. Um, So you can find me there. Well, we have a lot of animal empaths that listen. We have a lot of animal empaths in our, of our Facebook group, Empath Insights Facebook group. And like on Saturdays, usually on the weekend, I'm like, just show a picture of your favorite pet. And people like, I mean, I get more responses from like, show me a picture of your dog. And it's just like floods the whole thread. But, um, so we have a lot of people who would be interested in what you have to offer, I want to thank you so much. I'm so glad we finally made this happen. And I really enjoy coaching with you once a week. And anything else you want to add before we go? No, I just want to say right back at you and the making friends part. Yes. One hundred. This was like, so. it's just like the bonus. Yes. We want to talk about the, the bonus is making friends. Um, I make, I'm friends with a lot of people that I coach as well. And it's just, it's amazing. It's really amazing stuff. My kids know you, they've never met you, but they're like, okay, so who are you coaching with? I'm like, I'm coaching with Rachel. Oh, she's always doing like the Facebook lives. And that's like, that's her. It's so funny. We we forget we're kind of on in our own little bubble, especially when you work from home that we forget that people kind of know what we do sometimes like, oh, you're the empath lady. And I'm like, yeah. How did you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, it was a pleasure talking to you and I will see you very soon at our next coaching session at our next coaching session. Okay. Bye. All right. Thank you. So there's a banner at the top of my website, my homepage, rachelkhudson.com. And the banner says, join my free coaching library. Now this is totally free at the moment. And this is where you can find all of my webinar replays, group coaching replays, journal proms, and so much more. 
And if you're ready to work with me one-on-one, you'll again, just go to my website, rachelkhudson.com and click the tab that says work with me and you can schedule your free consultation. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Be kind to yourself, say nice things to yourself and be kind to others. Bye. 